It's time to sit back, relax, and listen to Conversations with Joan. Conversations with Joan will inspire, motivate, and empower you. Live your best life now. Listen, learn, think, and decide. And now, here's your host, Joan Herman. Welcome to Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life's Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. Conversations with Joan focuses on topics that are important to your life, from health and wellness to professional development to personal well-being. Change makers join me to share their insights, tips, and strategies so you can thrive and live your best life now. Thank you for taking time for yourself, and thank you for letting us be a part of your life. Now, let's start talking. Today's guest, Dr. Bernie Siegel, is a New York Times bestselling author, lecturer, and founder of Exceptional Cancer Patients. He is a retired pediatric general surgeon and a leading teacher of the mind-body connection. Bernie has been named one of the top 20 spiritually influential living people on the planet by Watkins Review. He is well known for his groundbreaking book, Love, Medicine, and Miracles, and is also the author of 18 other books, including as a co-author with his grandson, Charlie, When You Realize How Perfect Everything Is. Welcome, Bernie. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. I'm always amazed when I listen to introductions of all the things I've done in my life. I think what you've achieved is is the greatest gift because you've married science, you've married knowledge Mm. with spirituality. And so as a person who was trained based on science, you know, where things are in a way black and white, how were you able to come to learn about that relationship between the mind and the body? Well, the doctors all called me controversial Dr. Siegel because, you know, it made no sense to them. I wasn't scientific, but I learned to tell stories because they couldn't deny what happened to people. They, They couldn't say that's not true because it is true. And so I learned from my patients, and also a big part is how you're brought up. You know, when you're brought up with love in a spiritual environment, you know, that God is not a problem, religion is not a problem, you face a different world. And I mean this literally. Studies have been done. Uh, The incidence of serious illness in Harvard students who said, my parents love me, by middle age was 24%. Those who said my parents didn't love me was 98%. So how you take care of you yourself, what you believe relates to how you're brought up. And my parents were into three things. Do what makes you happy was how you decided what to do. And that is not about selfishness, if you know what I mean. But Mm -hmm. if you had to make a choice about something, who do I marry? Where do I go to college? What job do I take? Do what makes you happy. And I learned, again, from AIDS patients, cancer patients, when you live in your heart, magic happens. The other was that difficulties were God's redirections. I laugh every time I say that because as a kid, you come home from school at a horrible day and tell your mother, expecting, okay, I'll get a hug and she'll tell me I'm a wonderful child. No, she would say, oh, God is redirecting you. Something good will come of this. And I used to think, Ma, I need help, Mm -hmm. you know, not a sermon. But I learned from her that, again, no coincidences. You don't know what the future will bring. And so what you may call a problem turns out to be 
a great benefit because it where it directs you. And the right. last thing was that we're here to help each other. My father's father died when he was 12, leaving six kids and a wife with nothing. He died of tuberculosis out in Colorado in the mountains, you know, for fresh air. And my father said it was one of the best things that ever happened to me because it taught me what was important about life. And and I grew up with an open mind to all the experiences. And I like really telling people now about the truth about life, right. you know, our potential, about creation, uh, about all these things. And, and to understand the possibilities, to summarize, let me say, Monday morning, we had more heart attacks, strokes, suicides, and illnesses. So you begin to see how your life affects your health. And I learned to ask people, what's going on in your life lately? Oh, and other doctors would yell at me. I heard what you said to your patient. Why do you blame them? I said, what are you talking about? Well, what's happened in their life? It's their fault they got sick. I said, no, I'm trying to get them to understand why they got sick now and to look at the factors. Because literally, and this was done by a college student as his thesis, um, he got his professor to agree that he could get some actors together and draw their blood while they were acting to show how your emotions affected your immune system, stress hormone levels. His professor said, that's crazy. Why should it make a difference? But I supported the kid, talked to the professor. He said, all right, go ahead and do it. And sure enough, you're in a comedy Immune function goes up, stress hormone goes down. In a murder scene, the opposite happened. When this woman meets the man who murdered her husband, then her immune function went down, and so did the other character, and their stress hormone levels went up. And that impressed the professor. And so, again, laughter is therapeutic. The study that was done showed cancer patients who laughed for no apparent reason every three hours, several times a day, uh, had a better survival rate at the end of the year than the people who didn't laugh for no reason. You're talking about unconditional love and and laughter Mm. and the good chemicals that get produced and circulate throughout our body. And, And that is a powerful stimulant of the immune system. What we right. see going on in the world today with the pandemic and all of the fear and all of the anger, what are we doing to our most powerful weapon, our immune system, at a time when we need it the most? Well, you're making yourself more vulnerable, you see. So that's why I began, in a sense, to study success, because I wasn't just treating a disease. I was treating people. But when you treat the coronavirus you're not treating the people who have it. So you don't learn from them why does somebody do well and why do others curl up and die. And if you began to ask them questions about it, then you'd begin to understand this is what I call a survivor personality. And, oh, and psychiatrists understand this better than the doctors who are treating cancer and infectious diseases and everything else. Because what they're doing is helping people. See, people come in and say, oh, I've been told I have this terrible illness and I can't handle it emotionally. And so you get help emotionally. But what the psychiatrists ultimately publish are articles like one um, 
by a doctor called an immune-competent personality. That was way back in the AIDS epidemic. Um, because he realized there was a distinct personality characteristic to the people who survived. You know, they, they took charge of their life, saying no to things they didn't want to do, et cetera, et cetera, asking for help, having meaning in their life, you know, like the Monday morning thing. Now it's not so controversial. We understand more about the body, about genes, about, you know, our hormones. And, and see, identical twins don't get the same disease the same month of their life. And if I say to an audience, I have twin sisters that have a gene for breast cancer. Who's more likely to get it? The sweet little girl who spends her time making mommy and daddy happy or the little devil of a twin sister who's living her life and doing her thing. And everybody votes for the sweet little girl. Because if you're submissive, you're in trouble. What does that mean? You try to make everybody else happy, do what mommy and daddy want, you lose your life. And that again... See, he who's, who's willing to lose his life will save it. What do I mean by that? And I don't make up any stories. You're a lawyer. You're told you have a short time left to live. He c closes his law office, picks up his violin, and gets a job in an orchestra. Because that's what he wanted to do with his life. And his parents wouldn't accept a violinist as a son. They wanted a lawyer. And he doesn't die when he was supposed to. You move. You buy a new house on the ocean, in the mountains. You get a dog. Um, these are all things that people who were supposed to be dead said to me when I would call up to say, how come I wasn't invited for the funeral? And then the person you thought was dead answers the phone. <laughs> I'm laughing because one man said, oh, it's so beautiful here, I forgot to die. <laughs> I called to yell at the family for not inviting me to his funeral. A year later, they hadn't called me. And he moved to the mountains of Colorado, by the way. And I said, call me. I'll come out when he dies. I'm very close to him. No call. And he answered the phone. And again, so those are the things I'd pass on to people. Live your life, your true life. Not what will impress others or they want you to do, but let your heart make up your mind. Bernie, you've and, taught all of us so much over a course of so many years. What would you say is the biggest lesson? If someone doesn't do anything else, what's the one thing you would like all of us to do? Well, I'd say the, the one thing is really to live your authentic life. Learn to say no to what you do not want to do and to ask for help when you need it. Don't be afraid of that. And when you have a decision, say, what feels best for me? Now, that could come from a drawing. It could come from a dream. Um, but pay attention to what feels best. Not what I think is the best thing, but what feels best for me to do. And then live that life. Let me mention something for healthcare professionals, nurses particularly. Nursing convention. You got 500 nurses in front of you. I said, you're asked because I was reading through that immune-competent personality list, and one of the things is you're asked to do a favor for a friend or family member that you do not want to do. What would you tell them? Now, out of 500 nurses, 450, yes, I would say yes, I'll do it, even though I said to them, you don't want to do it. You see, 
And that's why nurses have a problem. Uh, if you become a nurse, you know, to save everybody else and help everybody else, you're giving up your life. It's one thing to be a nurse at work, so to speak, but you can stop being a nurse when you walk out the door and let others be your nurses too. It's okay to ask. Because again, see, the right answer is you decide to say yes or no. So if somebody asks you for a favor and you wanted to do it, fine, say yes, I'll be over. But if you don't, say no. And don't be afraid to ask them. You see, again, if you're the submissive sufferer, you say, oh, I really need some help, but I don't want to bother everybody. What are you doing to yourself? So you ask and you answer and let it come from your heart. Again, we're back to that again. And as I say, plus the faith. I've, I've had people go home to die and show up in the office and it's like, what'd you do? And I never forget one lady saying, oh, you know, I left my troubles to God. And she had cancer of the pancreas. You could feel it. I mean, it was a big tumor in her abdomen. And when she came into the office, I don't know what it was for, for something, you know, long time after we thought she was dead because people wouldn't come back to the office. Um, there was nothing to feel there. And that was her answer. I left my troubles to God. So I listened to those people. I talked to God every morning. And, and something else that came to me, there was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Part of the problem is we have names for God, and we begin to think of God as, you know, somebody sitting somewhere running everything. That's not my concept. It's the Word. The Word God contains something for me, and that that isn't some character sitting somewhere be it a male or a female, I don't care which you say God is, but it's the resource, you see, that we've given a label to. And when you think about creation, you can't explain life, how it got started. And that's what I'm grateful for every day. When I look at a blue sky, it's like, wow. And I, I mean, I know I ask myself a lot of crazy questions in the morning, when I'm out walking the dog in, in nature um, with God around me. But it's like, why is the sky blue? Who decided on that? Who decided to change the color of leaves in the fall? I, to me, I think, I said to God, that's a wonderful lesson, that we shouldn't let go of the tree of life without showing our unique selves. Because if you spend your life being a green leaf so you don't upset your parents, when you get ready to die, all the stories I just told you, you say, I'm not worried about my parents. I don't need to be a green leaf anymore on the family tree. I'm going to show who I am. And then wonderful things happen. I remember one fellow who was a millionaire with a big business in Florida, and he was introducing me. I had helped him survive. And he had bought the house on the ocean in Miami and he came to introduce me at a lecture I was giving in Miami. And he was dressed so casually, I thought it was really out of place to come to this evening talk at a church and be dressed like that. And I said to him, why are you dressed like that? He said, when they tell you you have a few months to live, you cancel the dress code at work. I love that. Um, he told all his employees, I don't care what you wear when you come to work. 
and he didn't die in a few months. He lived over five years and taught his hospital a lot because they realized their impression is he'll be dead in a few months, and look what he's doing. So they learned from him because instead of saying you're lucky, uh, you know, something must have happened, um, no, they, they learned from him. And again, this is science. Bernie, I hate to say this, but we are out of time. I wish I had more time to speak with you. It goes by much too quickly. But, you know, thank you so much for being here with us. You have taught us so many lessons about how we should live our life, and you've had a profound impact on so many. So it has been such a pleasure having you here. If our listeners would like to get more information about Bernie and his work, you can visit BernieSiegelMD.com. That's BernieSiegelMD.com. And again, Bernie, thank you so much for being here. Bless you. It was like being on a rocket ship. I didn't, I mean, I'm going a mile, you know, a minute and thank you. But I wanted you to because you had so much to share with us. I might as well summarize it with that. This is something I've learned. When you lose track of time, it's one of the healthiest states you can ever be in. So it could be my work. I, I could be standing in the operating room and lose total track of time caring for somebody operating on them or I could be painting a portrait of one of our kids or pets um, and not realize two hours had gone by and I thought it was half an hour and your body feels good when you lose track of time so find what does that for you and go and do it great lesson again so thank you Bernie for being here all right dear this is conversations with Joan until next time thanks for tuning in 